Okay, hello, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rich. For those of you who don't know me, I'm going to be leading us through this next part of our time together. And for the rest of our, our time here today, we're going to be looking at a series that we've been in for a number of weeks now, um, which, which is exploring a particular passage uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. And in particular, a section within that that's come to be known as the Beatitudes. And basically, it's, it's a series of really short punchy sayings by Jesus in which he announces wonderful news to seemingly unlikely people. And basically, they're all about fleshing out what it is to live in God's kingdom, to live with God's rule and reign expressed in our lives as we go about living on the earth. And in the chapters leading up to this point, Matthew has explained how Jesus has gained a following of people. People have flocked to him, but all kinds of unlikely people have come. Fishermen have come. Farm workers have come. Day laborers have come. A whole bunch of people in need of healing have come. The sick, the broken, the injured, the outcasts, all of them have flocked to Jesus. He's gained a following, a crowd of people that the rest of the world considers utterly worthless. Those that um, the authoritarian powers in Rome and those that the spiritual powers in Jerusalem say are worth nothing. The people who have no value or standing in the society at the time. That's who Jesus is speaking to. And so he gathers them all together and he goes up a mountain and he sits down and he pronounces these blessings over them, these blessings that we've been looking at over the last few weeks together. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And commenting on these verses, Stanley Hauerwas writes this, kind of sums all of them up together. He says, too often, these characteristics have, in Christian history, been turned into ideals or virtues that we must strive to attain. And when we do that, we turn them into formulas that help to us gain status and favor with God, which is, of course, precisely the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. They are descriptions of the kind of people to whom Jesus first brought the kingdom of God. He simply announces the great surprise that these people, who are not significant or honored in their society, are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those called into God's kingdom. And it's hard to recreate how those amazing words of Jesus would have landed with this crowd of sick and hurting and broken and marginalized and just about scraping by people. But it's utterly radical. 
It's completely transformative. It forces you to stop and take notice. It turns everything you might expect upside down. It reverses all of the established wisdom that the ones who God favors are the elites, are the rich, are the powerful, are those with everything. I think a good illustration of how this might have landed with this crowd comes from an art exhibition a few years ago by a pair of British sculpture artists called Tim Noble and Sue Webster. And this particular exhibition featured a number of different sculptures like this. And so what happened in the exhibition is that you walked into the gallery, into the room, and the room is almost completely dark. You can barely see what's going on. But what you do see is a table. And on the table are all kinds of random objects. Beer cans, Coke cans, bits of rubbish. And it's just sat there. And you walk a little bit closer, and you see that actually, it's not even just rubbish, but it's rubbish that is absolutely riddled with holes. That someone's just taken a BB gun or something like that, and they've just shot a bunch of holes in it. And as you're standing there and you're, you're looking at this and you're trying to figure out, what, what is this? What is this trying to say? What is the meaning of all of this? A spotlight comes on from the corner and suddenly you see this amazing cityscape light up behind it. This amazing silhouette formed from what you thought, first of all, was rubbish, but actually has been carefully, intricately arranged in order to create this amazing spectacle. Buildings rising from the ground, but still kind of shot through, still a bit broken, still a bit messed up. It's all about perception. What first seems to be just a pile of rubbish, when you look at it in the right light, in the right angle, becomes this incredible vehicle for meaning and for beauty. In a single moment, this beam of light comes and it reframes everything that you thought you saw. And so you continue, you walk into the next gallery room and you see another exhibition. You see more rubbish and this time it's just in a heap on the floor. You see McDonald's bags and, and throwaway cups and all that kind of stuff just lying there. But by now, you're kind of starting to wake up to the idea of it. You know what's coming next. You know what to expect. Um, and so the spotlight comes on again. And this time, you see people. You see people who look like they're sleeping in the rubbish. Can you see them? Then you look closer and you realize, of course, that's the shadow again. The people are made from the rubbish. The beam of light comes and it reframes everything that you thought you saw, first of all. It makes you think about people and how you see people and the value and the dignity that they have. And it forces us to think about our own city a city riddled with the holes of brokenness and isolation and knife crime and homelessness. 
it's impossible to walk around the city center or even to walk around Harborn and not be confronted with the reality of homelessness in our city. To not be forced to reckon with the reality of our own perceptions, the value that we give to people. What you thought were things that were discarded, what you thought was chaos or rubbish or mess from the right angle with the right light is suddenly the means by which we see beauty and meaning. At that moment when the beam of light comes, we suddenly see the artist's intention. I think that's a small picture of what Jesus is doing here as he speaks to these crowds, as he comes before this group of hurting and broken and sick people, this strange gathering of nobodies, those left behind by the might of Rome, by the religious in Jerusalem. These words, these beatitudes, they come and they shine as wonderful news, like a beam of light that comes and reframes everything that we think we know about life, everything we think we know about status and power and importance and religiosity. And that's what we've been seeing every week in this series. It, our expectations are flipped upside down by Jesus and the kingdom that he is revealing. We've looked at the poor in spirit, those who are at the end of their rope, they're weighed down by life. We've looked at those who mourn, those who have reckoned with the reality of the brokenness inside them and in the world. We've looked at the meek, those who don't see themselves as important, who aren't puffing themselves up. We looked last week at those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who long for right relationship between them and God to be restored again. How blessed are these people, Jesus says. How blessed they are because they are seeing something that God sees. They're seeing in themselves, they're seeing in their relationships with other people, they're seeing in the whole world around them that things are not as they are meant to be. There's something wrong in God's good creation. They are living in the midst of brokenness but that God is doing something about it. And that's what Jesus is here to do. That is the kingdom he has come to announce. It is the spotlight shining on the rubbish and revealing the beauty that these people, who nobody else even looks at, they are the beautiful ones. They are who God is for. They are who God is with. Today we're going to carry on and we're going to actually jump around a little bit and we're going to focus on two Beatitudes today, two of the later ones. Blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are the peacemakers. And I think that's going to be a really helpful thing for us to do because the danger almost in the way that we've been looking at the Beatitudes so far in taking them one week at a time and working our way through them kind of one by one in turn is that we can start ever so subtly, just to see them as kind of standalone statements that Jesus makes. You know, we look at one each week, and then we move on. But actually, they're, 
They're designed as a whole. They're designed to fit together both in the overall context of what Jesus is saying, in the whole context of um, Matthew's account of his life, and within a set as themselves. And so I think it's going to be really helpful for us to hold them all together a little bit more this afternoon, to, to see them in close connection with one another. That actually each one is like a piece in a stained glass window, much like the one behind me. That each piece is beautiful in its own right. Each piece is filled with color and wonder and beauty. And we've seen that as we've kind of dived into each one and looked at them in depth. But also, when you put them all together, when the light shines through all of them at the same time, it's even more incredible when they're placed alongside others so that the whole picture can be seen. And I want to leave us with a question now to kind of mull over and think about as we go in to look at a couple of these in more detail. And the question is this, what picture do we see? What picture do we see when we hold all of the Beatitudes together, all these things that Jesus has said? What picture do we see, particularly when we look at the pure in heart and the peacemakers? Hold that in your mind. Keep kind of mulling it over and we'll come back to it at the end. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God. And uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, wrote that the pure in heart are those who will one thing. That often our motivations um, behind our behavior as humans um, are all over the place. We are, we are motivated by a whole bunch of different kind of things, some of which are good and right and true, and others of which are a little bit self-indulgent and kind of inward-looking and ultimately corrosive and do us harm. But the pure in heart are those about whom you could say, what you see is what you get. They aren't someone always working a hidden agenda. They're not someone always kind of spinning a web of mystery or intrigue. But at their heart, they have one motive, one purpose. It's someone whose whole life, public and private, is lived openly and transparently before God and before others. They are the people who don't care about prestige or being admired. They don't fixate on what others might think, but they simply desire to see God. These may not be the leaders. They may not be the politically or socially or spiritually significant. They're not the ones with the grand plans to enact global change. But they are the ones who, as they start to understand the significance of what it is that Jesus has done in giving them the kingdom, begin to live it out through small daily acts of devotion as yeast, as mustard seeds. And that as they do that, they get a fresh sight of God in all of those places. They get a fresh sight of what God is doing in the world. King David is someone who did that. And he writes in Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Well, he who has clean heart, hands and a pure heart, 
who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. In other words, the person who has a pure heart, who is blessed, is the one who doesn't lift up his soul to what is false, who doesn't place at the center of their life something other than God, who doesn't make an idol out of money or pleasure or power or prestige, out of any philosophy or theology, but who keeps Jesus at the center. And at the same time, it's someone who doesn't swear deceitfully, who is honest and genuine in their interactions with others, not looking to swindle them or push them down, but who is authentic and truthful. That's what it means to have a pure heart. And we, in the West, in the 21st century, can, can use the word heart just to refer to a very small portion of our internal lives. We, we tend to just talk about it and say things like, particularly in kind of a Christian world, we can get a little bit jargony, say things like, how's your heart? And what we really mean is, how are you feeling at the moment? But in the Bible, the word heart is used to refer to our whole internal life. It is our thoughts and our feelings, but it's more than that. It's our whole mind. It's our essence. It's, it's the core of who we are and how we're doing. It's our desires. It's our will. It's all wrapped up in what Jesus means. It's our entire internal life. For those people, for the pure in heart, they will see God. They will ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place, according to David. And that's imagery deeply connected with the temple in Jerusalem. A temple that was built as a place where God's spirit dwelt in order that he might be accessible to all. It wasn't built as a place to hide God away and keep him for one group of people. It was meant to be a building that was a meeting point between heaven and earth, somewhere that everyone could come, where everyone was welcome, somewhere that, although you might not be able to see God there, would stand as a testament to the union of heaven and earth would stand as a promise that God was with his people. And now Jesus says, he has come to be that temple. He has come to do what we couldn't do in uniting earth and heaven. He has come to bring the life of heaven, to fill the life of earth, in order that us, even us, as we live imperfectly, seeking after God, might know the goodness of who he is. That's what the Apostle John writes about in John 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. When we see Jesus physically one day, but even now through the eyes of faith, as he's revealed in his word, by his spirit, we see God. We see him in the beauty of creation. We see him in the intimacy and compassion of care for the broken and the hurting and the lost. We see him amongst the very people to whom Jesus was talking 2,000 years ago. When we seek Jesus, with one will, 
with one purpose, we see God. And every sight of Jesus is a transforming sight. Every sight of Jesus catches us up into his likeness, transforms our hearts with all of their mixed motivations more and more into his likeness, more and more into those who are caught up with the goodness of who God is and what he's doing. John writes again in, in 1 John 3 verse 2, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. That actually the act of just seeing Jesus, of looking to Jesus, which one day will be complete as he returns to renew and restore everything, that actually at the sight of Jesus, all of creation will finally be made right, will be caught up into everything it was always meant to be. That that sight is something we get to participate in even now as we come to him, however imperfectly we come, with whatever mixed motivations we're carrying, that will increasingly shape us into those who more and more desire to see him, who hunger and thirst for him, even while at the same time we see the brokenness in ourselves and in the world around us. Earlier this week, I had the immense privilege of getting a little bit of time uh, together with a guy called Vince Ricketts, who's one of the leaders of our community. Vince, as many of you will know, is an amazing man of God uh, who is currently living uh, with a cancer story that means he has to spend most of his time at the moment uh, just lying in bed on his back. Uh, But if you've met Vince, um, you'll know that he is a man with an incredible gifting on his life for joy. Uh, And I had the amazing privilege of spending a little bit of time with him, uh, only about 45 minutes, because I had to rest as well. But, man, I've got to tell you, the joy that was coming off this guy living in this situation is unbelievable. That for probably half of the time we spent together, he just spent it declaring the wonder of listening to the birds in the morning. That as he has spent his day lying in bed, all he can hear, all he can see is the birds outside of his window and how much he was enjoying doing that. And to be honest, I feel like if I hadn't stopped him, he probably would have gone on all day. This is someone who is caught up in the goodness of God's creation, who is seeing God even as he hears the orchestra of his creation in the morning. You know, one of the Puritan theologians, Richard Sibbs, said that every morning in the rising of the sun, he's reminded that Jesus is risen. He sees Jesus everywhere. That's what it's like to be one who's pure in heart. You look around and you can't help but see Jesus. You can't help be caught up in the wonder of who he is in the goodness of his world, even in the midst of our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world around us. That's what it's like to live with one motive, one purpose, to see God. And that brings us on to Jesus' seventh saying. This is what he says. If you are someone for whom that's true, if you're someone for whom all of the Beatitudes 
have been true, or, or any one of them, if you are bothered by what is going on in the world around you, if you're bothered by the brokenness in your own heart, but you're living out a desire to see God that he has placed in you by his spirit, no matter how imperfectly, you'll find yourself living differently. You'll find yourself engaging in small daily acts of devotion towards God, seeing him in all of creation, in the beauty and wonder of his word, the Bible by his spirit as he speaks to us, and towards others, that you'll live that out in acts of mercy, as Jesus says in the fifth beatitude. We'll go on to see that in a couple of weeks' time. And one of the other ways that will be expressed is by peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they will be called children of God. That as you go about living in a world of broken relationships, and we know, don't we, that our world is a world that's full of broken relationships. You can't help but turn on the news and see that broken relationships everywhere, broken relationships in family, broken relationships in our institutions of government and society, broken relationships between our country and others. As we live in a world like that, we will inevitably encounter moments of conflict, moments where people we love and people we don't are at loggerheads with one another, where something has come between people as an expression of the brokenness that's in our own lives and that's in the world around us. And Jesus says, blessed are those who see that happening around them and aren't content to just sit on the sidelines. It's not blessed are the peace lovers. It's not blessed are those who will step to one side of those situations and enjoy a bit of peace and quiet for themselves while the world around them falls into more and more brokenness and division and disarray. But actually, blessed are those who will put themselves in the middle of those situations in order to see reconciliation come. You might step into those contacts in order to try and love both of those parties and bring them together. Like many of the Beatitudes, when you read it for the first time, it sounds really simple. Blessed are the peacemakers, great, really good. But the more we ponder on it, the more we think about it, the deeper and deeper and deeper it gets. Peacemaking is one of the hardest things we can do. Because if we are properly peacemaking, if we are someone who is putting themselves in the middle of situations like that, in between people who, who something has come between them and they can't stand each other, trying to love them both, if you've ever been in that situation, you'll know that what can happen more often than not is both of those parties end up hating you instead. They both end up turning their fire on you instead. They find a mutual enemy in the one who's trying to bring them together. And that's why purity of heart sits so well alongside the peacemakers, like different pieces in a stained glass window fitting together. 
Because when you're just trying to love people, it doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter if they hate you or even if they persecute you, as we see in the next verse. Because you're motivated by a love for Jesus. You will one thing. You desire one thing, which is to see him, to see his kingdom worked out on the earth in you. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who know that God loves right relationships, loves peace, and are willing, the more they understand the wonder and the depth of what Jesus has done in restoring our right relationship with God, in pouring out peace and comfort, in giving to them the kingdom and an inheritance of the earth and a fresh sight of him, the more they're willing to put themselves in those kind of situations in order to see reconciliation come. Those are the ones who are living out their identity as God's children. They're living out an identity that God has given to them and spoken over them. Once again, the action is his. He is the one who speaks over us and calls us his children. We don't do anything. We simply receive it. This is something he has declared to be true, that we now get to live in the good of. And this is the one of the ways in which we live that out. That the more we see Jesus, the more we take on that family likeness. Every sight of Jesus is a transforming sight. The more we take on his likeness. And he is one who is a peacemaker. He is one who is a reconciler. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's who we are to be. That's the good news that we are to live knowing. God has drawn us close. He has brought us together. Therefore, we go and do likewise. And right throughout this series, we've seen that the Beatitudes are good news proclamations. They are a word spoken over us, given to us, that we simply receive but also within them is a sense that the more we get hold of this vision of the kingdom, the more we understand the, the depth and the wonder and beauty of what God has done for us, what he has given to us, the more we rightly desire, I think, to become the kind of people that Jesus is talking about, to become the kind of people who exhibit these characteristics. And as we get to grips with them, as we allow the depth of them to sit with us. They do motivate us to action, but not because Jesus says, do this and you'll be blessed, but because he says, do this because you have already been blessed. God has already poured out his blessings upon us. Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry, thirsty as we are, 
in the midst of all the brokenness in ourselves and in our relationships with God, in our relationships with one another, in the world around us, we are blessed. Good news has been announced to us for us to receive and to live in the good of. And if you're here today and you are hurting or you're broken or you don't see yourself as important or if you're mourning the state of the world or you're crying out to God or you're caught in the middle of conflict, this word is for you. These blessings are for you. We're going to end this afternoon by coming back to that question I posed you earlier on. What do we see in the stained glass window? What do we see when we we take these Beatitudes together, when we hold them up to the light and allow that spotlight, that beam to shine through them and reveal something to us? What do we see? Maybe we see a picture of someone who was born into insignificance, born into poverty, in a backwater part of an empire that counted him as nothing. Maybe we see someone who was so deeply grieved by the brokenness of the world and the precious people living within it. Maybe we see someone who had all power and authority and majesty and importance, but was gentle and humble in heart, who longed to see right relationship restored between God and humanity and within humanity as we live together with one another. Someone who took time to pour out love and mercy and compassion on the sick and the hurting and the broken, who was full of pure desire to see God fixing his eyes on the Father at all times, who brought peace and reconciliation to fractured broken people who were so committed to speaking the truth, to loving others, that he was persecuted and even killed for it. What do we see? Who do we see? Jesus is the one who perfectly embodies what it is to be in the midst of God's kingdom. Because for all eternity, he has been enjoying the blessings of the Father and the Spirit poured out upon him and now he comes to offer them to us all of that love that the father son and spirit have enjoyed together for all eternity is given to us and on the cross we see this man perfectly embodying the kingdom dying in our place in order that all of that blessing, all of those promises, all of this freedom, promises that we see in in each of the Beatitudes for, for comfort, for inheritance, for being filled with the Spirit, for seeing God, for our identity as his dearly loved children, that all of those might be poured out upon us, freely offered to the world. Jesus bears in himself all that brokenness, all that pain, all that suffering, every fractured relationship that we find within ourselves, between us and God, between us and others, and he carries it with him to the cross. And he puts it to death there. And he says, it is finished. It is done. It is over. 
And then he rises again. He brings about the birth of a new creation, even in the midst of the brokenness of the old, in order that we might know hope now and for the future, that God has committed himself to the restoration of this world, and that he has begun that even now in the midst of us. It's good news that us, hurting and broken and insignificant people like you and like me, the kingdom has been announced to. Good news is here. This is what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to respond to that now by taking communion together. Communion is something that we have loved doing together in our afternoon meeting every week over the last year or so. I feel like the more we do it, the more depth we discover in it. The beauty and the wonder of what Jesus has done for us. It is a physical sign of the promise of God to his people to bless them and to be with them. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he took wine and he poured it out. And as he did, he gave us a meal that points us to the wonder of what he has done and invites us to receive the goodness of it again. As we eat and we drink, we remember that freedom, the freedom, the wholeness, the life that we have in him, and we receive it again. It is a visible word, as St. Augustine says, a physical confirmation of the words spoken in promise that we've been looking at today. It's a reminder that they are, are just as true and real as it is true and real that we are holding the bread and the juice, that we are eating it and drinking it. We can bank on those promises as much as we can bank on the fact that they are real and that we're holding them right now. It's an opportunity to receive the one who is the perfect embodiment of that good news of the kingdom. And so that's the invitation. Will you come to this Jesus today? It doesn't matter how you come. Come broken, come hurting, come hungry and thirsty. In fact, those are the best ways to come. The best way to come is to say, I know my need. I know my need is in you. Jesus, would you meet with me? The invitation is wide open. If that's an invitation you want to say yes to, why don't you head to the back? Um, just now grab a little cup of juice, a little piece of bread, bring it back together, uh, and we'll take it together in just a moment, and I'll lead us through that point as we do. Why don't we go and do that now? And just take a moment, just keep reflecting. Keep looking at this picture of who Jesus is. The wonder and beauty of him. Keep lifting your eyes to Jesus. Keep fixing your gaze on him as it says in Hebrews 12. What a saviour. What a Lord. What a life 
he has given. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, I pray would you give us a fresh sight of you as we receive you again through the bread we receive a sign of your body broken for us in order that all might be able to come and so we come as your children invited to the father's table welcomed in to the feast of blessing that you have laid out before us we receive again your comfort, your peace, your rest, your wholeness, and your life. We receive it and know it to be true, even as we eat and taste the bread. Let's eat now. the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Lord as we take the cup we look forward to all that you will do your project of new creation being brought forth even now through the most unlikely of people, through us. We drink in the certainty that what you have done through your life, your death, and your resurrection has demonstrated your unfailing commitment to us. And we drink in anticipation of the day when one day all will be set to rights when we will truly see you as you are and live in the fullness of your peace as your dearly beloved children. Let's drink together. Looking forward to that day.
Jesus, I thank you for the sure and certain promise that you are with us. We know that you have been with us, Lord. We know that you are here with us even now. You've been with us as we worshiped you, as we lifted our eyes and our hearts to you, Lord. You're with us as we looked at your word, the wonderful news you've announced. You've been with us in the bread and in the juice as we come to you again to receive all that we need. And you go with us as we go out into your world. Those who go out with a fresh sight of you. Those who go out confident and secure in our identity as your children to live out those daily acts of devotion and love to you and to those we encounter. And I pray, Lord, as we do that, you would just catch us up more and more in the goodness of the kingdom that you've come to reveal, the goodness of your rule and your reign expressed through our lives. We are Christ's ambassadors. We go out, Lord, in your name, in your strength, and with you alongside us every step of the way. I thank you for that. Amen. Mm -hmm.